We are and always will be a nation of immigrants. This is my country, my damn country. Give me my country, you can keep the rest. Old men and women yearning for freedom and opportunity who leave their homelands and come to a new country to start their lives over. We were strangers once too. My country, my damn country. Give me my Hello, 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 aliens and allies. Your friendly Russian is here. This is We the Aliens podcast, and I am your host, Sasha Kapustina. Here, I talk to immigrants who are kicking ass in the U.S. Thank you for tuning in. This is part two of my conversation with Camila Russo, a Chilean-American financial journalist. She cut her teeth at Bloomberg News after graduating from Northwestern, and in 2020, she founded The Defiant, a crypto news platform. She has also written a book, the first book on history of Ethereum, called The Infinite Machine. You have, of course, heard about crypto. There's been a lot of news in the media in the last few months. Some say it's a bubble. Some say it's a breakthrough technology. And you will make your mind up. I just want to give you a super brief history of it here for the context. So the movement and the concepts of decentralized finance have been developing since the 90s. But the cryptocurrency, the first cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, came to be in 2008. It was created by Satoshi Nakamoto, who is an unknown person or persons who released the code and some of the concepts of this currency in a series of emails and defined Bitcoin as a peer-to-peer -peer electronic cash. It's actually pretty simple. Just think of cash, but online. Money that is not attached to a bank. Any bank or a government for that matter. That's pretty exciting. But early on, Bitcoin attracted a lot of shady activity. Because this money was untraceable, people sold drugs and guns with it. For me personally, it was a major deterrent. I first heard about Bitcoin in 2014 and didn't want to be anywhere near it. But over time, the field has grown and people used Bitcoin for other uses. Other blockchains came around, among them Ethereum the one that allowed developers to do more with the code. Now it's not just internet money, but so-called smart contracts. And the field blew up in 2017. It was the first big crypto boom that was followed by a ruthless bust when it turned out that a lot of the businesses that came into it were essentially frauds and the regulators had to crack down on them. Three years of crypto winter followed but the enthusiasts kept building. And in 2020, a new boom came with new developments. There are platforms that allow you to trade various cryptocurrencies. There's crypto lending and a growing specter of financial instruments that exist in this decentralized space. For me as a creative, the most interesting development are the so-called non-fungible tokens, the NFTs, that allow for ways of monetizing digital assets art, media, and all kinds of content that up until now was trapped and attached to monetizing the advertising and kind of deprived of its own value. So I will not be getting further into the weeds. I just want to mention that many institutional players have come into this field and the regulators all over the world are looking at the space, not just as a dangerous shady game, but as a technology 
that they will need to grapple with. Even though for the majority of people, crypto is still funny internet toy money, it's Web 3.0 and it looks like it's here to stay. One more quick footnote here because it does come up in the conversation. I just said Web 3.0 and we're talking about the evolution of the internet here. So Web 1.0 was the first iteration of the internet. Static web pages that were read only. Web 2.0 was read-write web. And that's what you're used to. The social networks, the pages that you can interact with. Now, Web 3.0 is read-write-execute. And the term was coined in 2006 by the New York Times reporter John Markov. And Web 3.0 is the third generation of Internet. Websites and applications that use machine-based understanding of data to provide a data-driven web. And it sounds a little futuristic and scary, but the thing is, the elements of it are already here. It's the algorithms that we see working within the search engines, within social media platforms, and other apps that analyze information and offer solutions. Okay, now that I got you utterly confused, on to my conversation with Camila. And hopefully the stories that she shares will help you digest all of this a little bit. So since it's part two of the conversation, we pick up at the point of Camilla's story where after her graduate studies at Northwestern, she is getting her journalism career started at Bloomberg News. How did you get into Bloomberg? Okay, so I applied for the internship. It's not like I was always been watching financial news or anything. I did not know anything about that world. Bloomberg has this quiz where they ask you like, what's the price of Apple stock? What's Berkshire Hathaway? You know, stuff like that. <laughs> I remember this question because I was like, what is Berkshire Hathaway? Like, I have no idea. Like, I answered like as best I could. And then after the test, I was talking to the other people who did the test. And I remember there was this one girl who was like, oh my God, the Berkshire Hathaway question. That was so easy, whatever. And I went home and started Googling all the questions like Berkshire Hathaway's Warren Buffett's firm. I realized I had like really not done very well on the test. So I, I emailed and told them, you know, I know that I got like these questions wrong. I just went home and Googled the ones that I, I thought I, I had wrong and I did have them wrong. So like, but please, like I'm, I'm super eager to learn. I love this stuff. Like I just gave him like a, like a huge kind of like letter on like why I should be accepted. And he was like, no, don't worry. Like the, the quiz is just like one of the things we look at. Like they also did a writing test. They also did like three different interviews. So he's like, don't, don't worry. Wow. That's a huge selection for an intern. Bloomberg hires from its intern pool. So it's like, okay, mm. once you're an intern, you're likely to be hired. I don't know. Half of the intern class will, will end up getting hired. Wow. And that was like my whole thing, like why, um, well, like I said, like I was interested in markets reporting, but like I knew that was kind of my way into like a permanent job at a U.S. Uh, media company. So that's impressive. That, that's really good. to, And that's one of those things that you kind of have to know, because like, for example, in film industry, notoriously, interns are mostly expandable. Oh, Nobody okay. really trusts you to do anything serious or a very rare company does like you will be probably given 
And I've experienced that. And I came here after having been a producer on films back in Russia. And I come here and, you know, I get to file things into <laughs> folders. <laughs> and that was challenging. Uh, it was probably hardest thing to do for me. Um, so and yeah, like very few companies do hire from oh, wow. from interns. It's mostly just free labor. Wow. Um, OK, no, this is like. Yeah, there was a super different, like, as interns, like, you had, you you were actually writing stories, like, real stories that went on the wire, wow. um, and they trained you, and it was, like, really cool, and, yeah, it was, like, your chance of, of getting hired, so that's why it was, like, a long, long process. And did you have a plan B? No, no, I didn't. Um, I mean, oh, wow. I, of course, like, I was kind of researching like other like potential internships but, but that was kind of like my big bet like I, I would have obviously you know done like applied for other uh, spots but I wasn't kind of in like any kind of serious uh, process at, at the time. And why Bloomberg? Why not New York Times, Wall Street Journal? There's so many business um, publications out there or something more niche or uh, some website or something. Bloomberg came to Northwestern and they gave us a tour of the Bloomberg news office in Chicago and they taught us how to use a Bloomberg terminal and I was just like blown away by that. What's a Bloomberg terminal? You know how whenever they show you like a trading floor on TV they have this few screens and like a colorful keyboard weird charts going up and down and yeah okay that's that's a Bloomberg terminal. <laughs> okay. So it's like a piece of hardware and, and software, a wealth of data. It, it felt like whatever you wanted to find was in there. So uh, yeah, I remember like mm. kind of like in the, the intro to, to like the Bloomberg terminal, terminal, it was like, do you want to find uh, what the latest um, GDP number for Brazil is? And you would just type Brazil GDP and it would come up. Do you want to know the price, like the latest price of oil? go and like you would type that and it would come up and so that's what professional traders professional financial advisors use yeah. to make decisions and make opinions exactly oh. so it's like it's what like wall street kind of relies on this and like all the big investment firms and like central bankers and who makes those uh bloomberg like <laughs> bloomberg company yeah bloomberg bloomberg lp like owns bloomberg news and makes these terms oh wow it's like a huge uh, corporation. That's a hugely powerful tool. Yeah. I had no idea that there was like this, it was that centralized. It is. It's super centralized. Isn't that dangerous? Well, I mean, the, the market is split between Bloomberg and Reuters. Like they're kind of the two main companies that own kind of the information systems uh, that Wall Street use. So I saw this, it's like an amazing tool for a journalist. All of the information you could ever want is right here. And all the most powerful yeah. people in the world are reading your stories and like they are yeah. hiring interns. So <laughs> this is the place I need to be. Yeah, no, that makes sense. So you find yourself at, at this amazing uh, institution, so powerful, so big. And how do you make the transition to this corner of crypto um okay so i am um, so i was hired after the internship and um i got into the emerging markets team i stayed on in new york for a, a couple of months but then i was sent to argentina uh, to be the markets reporter there and this was in christina fernandez second term 
and uh, Christina was imposing the harshest currency controls like almost ever, like since Argentina's like huge financial crisis in 2002. Um, she was forbidding Argentines from buying foreign currency. So they could only stay in pesos at a time when there was 25% inflation. So it was like basically forcing you to lose your savings by keeping you in, in pesos. Sounds familiar as a Russian. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, this chronic problem of debt and inflation that many emerging markets suffer um, Argentina is still suffering uh, from, from that. Um, yeah. So I was covering that, like inflation, currency controls, like how people dealt with that. Um, and uh, one of the ways that Argentines were dealing with this was buying Bitcoin. Uh, like this was 2013. Um, so at the time there was like another kind of mini Bitcoin bubble. Uh, so it was like, you know, in the news and um, the Bitcoin community in Argentina was growing. So I wrote a story on Bitcoin and I just, you know, I thought it was super interesting. Like, I was like, oh my God, like this currency that's uh, independent, that doesn't do, rely on central banks, sounds really cool. So you saw the positive side of it. Totally, because like, like I said, like growing up in Chile, I never kind of faced any economic crisis, turmoil in like the country. Uh, but then in Argentina, mm. I was covering it day to day and I was also earning my own salary in pesos. So it was like, oh. yeah, and I said <laughs> like very directly. It was like I, I, I got to the Argentine office and they told me like first thing almost that the, the people in the office told me was as soon as you get your salary, turn it into dollars. <laughs> it's like lesson number one of living in Argentina. So I, I had been doing that. And then one day, like we were at the office. And Christina starts speaking and she announces that uh, people can't buy dollars anymore. And we're like, okay, like I reported the news, sent out headlines. And then I was like, okay, is this actually happening? Got to run to the bank. And so I checked online bank and sure enough, like there was like the option of transferring money from my peso account to my dollar account simply just like wasn't there anymore. Whoa. And that was it. That really hit me. It was like, how is it possible that the government can tell you what to do with your money? This is money that I earned, that's mine. Why are they telling me what I can and can't do? I, I was like really angry by that experience. I covered Bitcoin and it just completely makes sense. You don't need to trust a central bank. You don't need to trust financial institutions. It runs on a decentralized network of computers all over the world. It runs on a software, like a computer program. And that's all you need to trust. And to me, that sounded pretty good. Like, okay, that's a lot better than some like sketchy central bankers. <laughs> yeah, that's funny how, you know, perception is very yeah. different. My perception was like, it's some sketchy hackers there. <laughs> I mean, sketchy hackers use it, right? For sure. Um, yeah. But that doesn't mean that the system itself is bad. It's like, you know, criminals use cash, but that doesn't mean that cash itself is bad. For sure. For sure. I wish somebody told me that in 2014 when I first heard about Maybe Bitcoin. you would be a Bitcoin um, millionaire now. <laughs> I, I, yeah, could have happened. Well, it's okay. Uh, there's ETH for, for the ones uh, like me. Go ETH. <laughs> yeah. So you started writing about Bitcoin and how was 
Bloomberg responding to that. Okay, yeah. So, I mean, this was just one story I wrote in 2013. And I remember pitching this story and my editors not having any idea. What? Like Bitcoin? We're not going to write about this like stupid internet money. And I had to really convince them like, no, we need to write about this. It's important. It's real, whatever. I finally convinced them. The story did great, whatever. But I just kept on covering the rest of the Argentine market, which was there was a lot to cover other than Bitcoin. And then mm -hmm. that was it for a while. It was always kind of an interest. I kept up with what was going on in, in crypto because I just thought it was cool. And uh, let me let me ask you this one thing. Uh, I heard in one of your interviews, you mentioned that it is a policy and that it's part of the journalist ethics that you're not supposed to own any of the assets that you're right. writing about. Right. And, and they actually... Like, how do they, they, do they check it? Or is that like on, on your, in your ethical? Um, no, they've never actually, they never checked it I, that I know of. No. Or do you sign a paper that you promise that you don't? Yeah. Yeah. You sign something. Okay. So, and I didn't, I've never been a trader kind of personality, um, which is weird. Like for someone who is in crypto that, but it is fascinating. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> to me, it's like, honestly, people say I'm in it for the tech. Like I'm in it for the stories, really interesting personalities. But it is really good money. It is. Yeah, it is. Um, but like, <laughs> that's not kind of like what drove me into it. Right. So, and at the same time, mm -hmm. like Bloomberg did have that policy. So whatever, I didn't even kind of think about it. And then, yeah, that was like the story wrote in Argentina. Then 2017, I was in New York and there crypto was really heating up in the news every day. And I was part of this new team, uh, Markets Live team, blog about uh, market commentary. People in, in the team had the freedom to write about whatever was interesting in markets. So I started blogging about crypto and then my editors asked me to just cover the space for the broader uh, Bloomberg news, because any story that had Bitcoin in the headline would jump to the most read. So there was like, obviously a lot of demand for, for that content. Mm. And you turned out to be the most knowledgeable person. At least like the one who was like interested in it. <laughs> I became knowledgeable later, but. Okay. So the others didn't have the feeling that it's worth investing time into exploring it. Yeah. Is that, was that it? Yeah, definitely. I think the more institutional mind kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, it's interesting what happens at Bloomberg because after covering traditional markets uh, for a while as a journalist, you you end up kind of, I think, becoming also invested in, in that um, system. Invested like emotionally. This is the way things work. Like this is what mm -hmm. I know. This is what I've been covering for decades. And so this is what's kind of legitimate. And this other weird stuff, that's not legit. That's kind of a bunch of weirdos. Well, it makes sense because you want to be right. I don't know if I want to be right. I want to cover what's driving attention, what's driving money, like what people are buying, where the activity is, where right. developers are. I don't no, know. No, I was not saying about you. I was saying in general, like people who write about things mm. generally want to be right about them. And so then any disruptor that comes into the market is disrupting their rightness also at the same time. Yeah, I think it, it was just like this perception from like very long, long time journalists, older uh, dudes who, you know, really kind mm -hmm. of didn't think this was going anywhere. There was just like some kind of bubble that would blow over. It's just some like some funny internet money. Yeah, some like Tamagotchi stuff that would kind of explode and like wouldn't be here tomorrow. Um, yeah, that, that was kind of the sense I got from from people 
like not all but like and so what made you feel differently besides the stories that were exciting and interesting what gave you confidence i mean you ended up investing a lot of your time yeah. you kind of put your career at stake and now you have created your own uh, media outlet you're staking not eth but you're staking your entire future on it that's a huge investment Yeah. So early on, what made you connect with it? After my research, I really thought that this wasn't going anywhere, you know, that this would be around for a long time, that it was fundamentally this pivotal piece of technology that would change the way money is, is transacted and that it was like already working. I mean, Bitcoin was created in 2008. The chain had been running since uh, 2009. It didn't go anywhere. Like if, if you looked at the trend of the price, it, it had been steadily going up. There were more, more and more people uh, developing on top of it. There was at the time, 2017, like this other blockchain, Ethereum, making waves with ICOs. And yeah, there was like a lot of craziness, a lot, a lot of scams, but also the underlying idea I thought was really cool. Ethereum is enabling for the first time for startups anywhere in the world to raise money from investors anywhere in the world. Like they're, they are bypassing venture capitalists and banks uh, for the first time. So of course, like this was exploited by scammers and whatever, but also like legitimate companies got funded that way. Mm -hmm. um, so I thought, you know, like there's like something real here. There's like real innovation. It's working. It's been around for like a decade. It's not going anywhere. I saw like how important it was to have like an independent currency from living in Argentina. Mm. I knew that Argentina was far from the only place that could use an independent currency. Yep. In fact, most of the world could use an independent currency. So like the use case is there. Absolutely. And it's so funny when I listen to Americans who talk about it. Uh, I'm not going to name uh, the outlet, but I was just listening to them talking about how you know, dollar is always a dollar. And I'm like, yeah, lucky you. Right. Uh, and Russia has gone through so many of these uh, hyperinflations and uh, or loss of values. Mm -hmm. And even in my lifetime, even most recently, uh, you know, when the Crimea crisis happened and Crimea invasion mm -hmm. and then followed sanctions, Russian ruble dropped like in half like this. Right. And People are so trained for it mm -hmm. that they go to the stores and they buy off. Guess what? What? <laughs> Salt and matches. No way. That's the first thing that disappears. Oh. And then they buy all of the electronics that they can get their hands on, all of the jewelry, just anything that would hold value. Mm. And so when somebody tells me dollar is always a dollar, I'm like, yeah, well, Let's hope. I mean, <laughs> it's definitely not like that everywhere. Exactly. And yeah, and, and that's kind of the, the, the vision of people who have been privileged to be living in the U.S. Their, their whole time, that um, they they just like blindly trust uh, financial institutions or banks and that the dollar is a dollar. But in fact, like, sure, like the dollar is a dollar, but it, the dollar has also been eroding in, in in purchasing power like there's also inflation in the U.S. and and now with like all the printing that the central like the Fed is doing to stimulate the economy even more so like so at least like with with Bitcoin with Ethereum you have the the certainty that you know it's not like up to central bank to come up with like monetary policy and just like print away the value of, of your currency you know 
So right. that's why kind of like I, I thought, okay, like this is real. It's not going anywhere. It's like a revolutionary, revolutionary technology. And it's worth kind of sticking around and like hopefully becoming an expert and being a trusted source of information here. And that's what you have to come. And it's so great to see that. Yeah, no, really, congrats. And uh, I haven't finished your book yet, but I am kind of in the middle of it. And I love it. Yay. Such a great job. Honestly, it's I'm not just saying that. I, I just would have omitted it if I didn't mean it. Uh, <laughs> but really, I was impressed. And obviously, you're a writer, you're a professional writer, you write all the time. But, you know, every time somebody for whom English is not their first language has the audacity to write a whole book. <laughs> I'm so proud of that person. And I think it's such a beautiful thing that you've done that. And I hope that other immigrants read this book and know that you can do that. Yeah. You don't have to be a native speaker because I yeah. certainly had that kind of inner barrier in my mind that I will never be good enough writer to Oh no, to like I, I mean, I hopefully people listening um are encouraged um, by by my story, by other people's stories to to write if they feel like it. You know, maybe it'll be rough uh, in, in the first draft, but then you'll keep correcting it, correcting it. You'll have an editor who will help you. And yeah, you can definitely do it. Like you don't need to be a native speaker. There's like so many tools also, you know, like. Yeah, you yeah. can always find help. It won't be perfect the, the first the first time. And and the, the last time, it's, I mean, the last draft isn't perfect either, but whatever. Like, right. <laughs> It, it's worth it. <laughs> yeah. No, it's it's really impressive. So uh, your book is called The Infinite Machine, and it's about the story of Ethereum. What made you write it? And why did you call the book The Infinite Machine? I was like always on the lookout for a book idea. And then writing about crypto, I thought there, there has to be a story here. Like this space is so crazy, so like interesting. Um, so one big story that hasn't been told is the story of Ethereum. There are a few books about Bitcoin, um, but Ethereum, like the second biggest cryptocurrency, the network, like the, the blockchain that spurred so much of the craziness of the 2017 rally with like all the ICOs and all the tokens. Ethereum was already pushing the boundaries of what Bitcoin created and was doing something new, which was having a programmable blockchain, uh, which Bitcoin isn't. So that was like already a huge innovation. And it had made a huge impact in the 2017 bull market. So I was like, this is a worthy story to tell. Like, even if Ethereum doesn't succeed, it already kind of changed the history of the blockchain industry. So, you know, it'll be a book that's kind of evergreen, like Mm -hmm. it won't go out of date. Um, And it's, it's, yeah, it's worth documenting. So that's why I thought of, of Ethereum and then the infinite machine. It's because of this idea of one infinite in the sense that blockchains are supposed to run forever. They are immutable. Uh, they are um, decentralized networks that can't be censored. They can't be shut down. So they're infinite in that way. And on the other hand, because Ethereum wanted to be a platform that would allow developers to build whatever they wanted. So a platform for infinite innovation and like infinite applications. Mm-hmm. So that's that's where that came from. I love it. So it's funny that you said that it's evergreen because as I was listening to it and I checked when it came out and it came out almost a year ago, just, just a little yeah. short, short of a year. Uh, and it feels like 
infinite amount of time <laughs> went by. Yeah. And I was just thinking that, you know, at this point you could write a whole new book. I, I would love to. I think I think I definitely want to write a, another book. Um, I want to write a, a book on DeFi, on decentralized finance, which is what the Defiant, my, my media company covers. I don't think the book on DeFi is, has been kind of fully baked yet. I think kind of it's in the oven. Right. <laughs> By the end of this bull cycle, we're going to see the book. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think so. Yeah, yeah. I really want to write it. Like it'll be a great book. So it's coming. It's coming. I haven't even started it, but I think there's a great book here. So and what's the story? Well, that's the thing. I mean, the underlying story is is about how, again, like this army of hackers in the same way that like my infinite machine is called. Um, and, I, and I like that idea because it's not about one person. It's about this kind of group of developers who are all over the world. Um, they are creating a new financial system. And that's pretty awesome. I mean, they're creating a, a, a new system that's open, that anyone can access, that is global, unlike the old traditional finance, which is fenced off, you know, into like in Russia, you have to abide by like the financial system in Russia. You uh, can, you know, um, you have to hold their rule. You can invest only in like Russian assets, like Russian stocks and Russian bonds. Uh, it's really hard for someone there to invest in U.S. stocks, for example, like someone in Venezuela has to live by the Venezuelan financial system and, and so on. In DeFi, it's a it's a truly global financial system that's open to everyone. I think that's that's really exciting. So that's kind of the underlying story, and there are just like so many interesting uh, personalities, strands of drama that have already taken place. So <laughs> now it, it'll be an exciting one. Yeah. Well, I was really impressed what you mentioned. I think in the foreword that you've done uh, over a hundred interviews with uh, all the with all the participants of the events, and I think it's such a trove of gold just just these interviews i mean oh my god like it's such a piece of history and so is it going to be centered also around ethereum do you think or is it going to be kind of the platforms that are building DeFi? so the platforms building DeFi are mostly on ethereum um i think you know by the time i feel that the book is kind of there there will likely be other uh, platforms other networks who are also um serving us kind of the base layer. So it will be probably Ethereum and a, a few others. I think Ethereum will definitely continue to be a part of the story. I think it'll probably feel like the Infinite Machine 2, <laughs> Volume 2 or something. And so I just want to ask you about the Defiant, about your media company that you have uh, built and you, that you're building. Is it going to become a part of the crypto world in some sense like is it going to be a DAO or implement a blockchain element into it yes that's a great question um yeah the my plan is for the defiant to become a web3 media company so that means a media company that leverages cryptocurrency and blockchain tools where it makes sense so i would love to decentralize parts of the defiant to include uh, more participation from its audience, uh, ownership from its audience, and be able to reward readers as well. So I think you can kind of make out um, how how that will look. But um, yeah, the answer is is definitely to become um, as 
as on-chain as possible. Love it. Yeah, no, I'm, as a media person, I'm also very excited about all the things that, that Web3 uh, is allowing. So I've enjoyed this tremendously. I could go on talking to you for hours, but I know we need to wrap up. <laughs> is there anything you would like to mention in the end as a conclusion? For our audience. Um, I love uh, the angle, the focus of, of this podcast, uh, talking to immigrants. I, I would just say for people making it in, in the US, coming from other countries, all the like strength to you, like it's it's tough, uh, but it's rewarding. Like it's, I think it's a great place uh, to grow. And for those considering it, go for it. Like you, you can do it. There's, there's ways, <laughs> there's always, you know, institutions people willing to help it's worth it like you you grow so much you learn so much you can make like a good place in in this society i believe at least that, that's been my experience so um just dream big and go wherever you know wherever those dreams may lead you you know if, if that's the us then go for it if that's some somewhere else go for it love it thank you so much camila that was amazing uh, thank you this was great thank you so much thank you That's it for today. I hope you enjoyed it. Check out part one of my conversation with Camilla, where we talk about her journey coming to the United States to study. Find her on Twitter. Find the Defiant website. Subscribe to their newsletter. Get Camilla's book or audiobook. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter. And don't forget to share the show with a friend. I don't know, someone who's into crypto or someone who is not into crypto. Or someone who's like me, a fan of fearless immigrants who make things happen. Just click share, text them a link, and remember, we're here to stay. We'll find our way. Thank you for listening. Have a great weekend. Keep staying safe. Love you all. Peace. This is my country, my country, and it don't mean a thing.